Good morning. Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. I am so glad that you're here. We prayed for you to be here. You know that? You are an answer to prayer. Won't you elbow the person beside you and remind them that you are an answer to prayer? So I'm an answer to prayer. And so are you. <laughs> so if you've, if you've never felt like you're an answer to prayer, you are today. We have a motto here at Recreate Church, and we mean it, and we praise God for the opportunities to demonstrate that we mean it, and those of you who know this motto, who've, who've been living it with us for a while, help me to share it with the world. Remember, this is not just on the street corner. We have a podcast that goes all over the earth, blows my mind, the places in the world where people are listening to this, so let's let them know, no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. And we mean that. We mean that. So I want to start us out with a little game. All right? You feel like playing a game this morning? The name of the game. <laughs> well, whether you like it or not, here it comes. I have to get my, like, my game show. Here we go. Let's play. Is it in the Bible? This is the name. Is it in the Bible? You could also call it, Are You Smarter Than a Pharisee? Is it in the Bible? So the game is, which of these statements or events are in the Bible. Okay. So, it's a whole list of them. Cleanliness is next to godliness. In the Bible. Okay, okay. Not there. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Is it there, that phrase? No, it's not. Money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Okay. The Lord will never give you more than you can handle. I wish. I wish. That has not been my experience. The Lord will never leave you. How about that? He'll, will He ever let you have more than you can handle? Buddy, I got more than I can handle to roll out of bed sometimes. But He's with me. And He's with you. Uh, this too shall pass. That's not the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. Well, that sounds good. But Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, While we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Thank God He helps those who cannot help themselves, or we'd be in trouble. All right, now it's a couple of events. Adam and Eve ate an apple. Don't I? We don't know what it was. Three wise men visited baby Jesus as He lay in a manger. That's doubly wrong. Because we don't know how many wise men there were. Three? We don't know. And He was long out of that manger before it was a couple years all right how about this one god just wants us to be happy <laughs> you don't have to laugh that hard honestly god just wants us to be happy that sounds good except let's be objective for a moment we stink at knowing what will make us happy most of the stuff that is making you unhappy at one point you thought it would make you happy and, and it doesn't necessarily work. We're not good at knowing what will make us happy. So God just wants me to be happy. Um, or in other words, uh, God wants me to do the things that I want to do. Man, I'm, you could do that. If you raised your kids that way, they would never make it. Because you can't just let a kid do whatever they want to do. How about this one's a little controversial. That the Bible says you should give exactly 10%. It doesn't actually say that. I mean, it says give, give sacrificially which might be more or less, and the Israelites gave like 23 and a third percent, so I don't know if y'all want to get too biblical on it. Um, Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Well, it just says a big fish. 
says big fish. But to be fair, um, zoology wasn't like a big deal in ancient Israel. If it swam in the water, it was a fish. They did not check and see if it was a, you know, producing milk. They didn't bother. If it flew in the air, it was a bird. So the bats just got called birds. It didn't matter. Nobody cared. We, we're the ones who kind of made that distinction now. All right. Um, get this. Um, the best way to pray, the, the Bible says you have to bow your head and close your eyes to pray. No, it doesn't. I'm not exactly sure where that tradition came from. I mean, it shuts out distraction. But if you bow your head and close your eyes like if you're praying while you're driving, <laughs> seems like a problem. Do not do that. Because the other people in the other cars, well, they will be inspired to pray. They may not, may not be praying nice things about you. Okay, so not a single one of those things are in the Bible, even though people kind of act like they are. Got two more, two more for you, all right. Number one, it's okay to conspire against an innocent man as long as you wash your hands. Number two, you don't have to look out for your family members if you give a big enough donation to a religious organization. And you're like, what? what are you talking about? Okay, if you can spot the obvious problem with those last two, Pat yourself on the back. You are smarter than a Pharisee. And we're going to see that in this story. Um, we have been working through the story of Jesus as told in the Gospel of Mark. We've got up to chapter 7, and we haven't seen our old buddies, the Pharisees, in a while. Most of the time when these religious leaders show up, they're trying to show up Jesus. And it always goes bad. It never does work. So here in Mark chapter 7, we're going to see what happens when Jesus shows us that we must not let tradition take the place of truth. That is the core of this message today. Don't let tradition take the place of truth. Are all traditions bad? No. But don't let tradition take the place of truth. So let's read in Mark chapter 7 and then we'll pray. Starting at verse 1. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the, what's that word? Tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, now I pray you'll speak to us about the difference between the solid truth of the Scriptures and all these traditions. God, help us to know the difference. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were prominent religious leaders in the time of Jesus. The word Pharisee literally means separate. They were the separate ones. They were considered to be so righteous that they were separate from everywhere else. I wonder if they gave themselves that name. Is that, hey, we're, we're in a class all to ourselves. Now, these days, the word Pharisee is kind of synonymous with hypocrite because of these stories but in their own day, they were very well respected. Um, people listened to the Pharisees. And when Jesus came along, the Pharisees felt very threatened by him because they were very popular before Jesus showed up. And Jesus, here he's on the scene and he's getting lots of attention. And he's calling out the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. Pharisees always had a problem with Jesus. So they sent a delegation to Jerusalem, or from Jerusalem to Galilee, to find something they could accuse Jesus about. 
And they were, they were trying to bust Jesus, always trying to bust him somehow. My kids used to watch this show called um, Phineas and Ferb, and it was like a sister who's always trying to bust the brothers for doing so. That's the, they're literally the sister from Phineas and Ferb, if anybody knows that show. Some of you, some, I see some parents nodding, and I see some other people like, what is that? That ain't Tom and Jerry. That ain't Tom and Good, wholesome Tom and Jerry. They're just trying to murder each other, none of this other mess. Um, yeah, so they're, they're trying to bust Jesus, and they couldn't bust him on anything. But they feel like they got his disciples on something. Ah, what have his disciples done? What's the terrible crime that his disciples have done? They didn't wash their hands. They're like, aha! Your disciples didn't wash their hands. I will say, there is at least one good thing that this whole COVID pandemic has helped with. People wash their hands a little more than they used to. That's nice. Because I don't want to gross any of you ladies out, but us men know if you go in a public restroom, at least one out of every three dudes are walking out of there without making a stop at the sink. Yeah, it's gross. It's bad. Maybe COVID has helped uh, with that. It's mind-blowing to me that less than 200 years ago, that's when it became a standard practice for a doctor performing a surgery to wash their hands before and after. Before that, they're like, eh. They were that third guy walking out of the bathroom. Like, eh, eh, it's okay. Um, meanwhile, the Bible taught hand washing as a good thing 3,500 years ago. There, there's some um, Old Testament laws that talk about at least the people in the temple washing their hands carefully. And Now, to be fair, the Old Testament did not command that everybody has to wash their hands all the time or, or command specific hand washing like before meals. But by and large, the Jewish people, following the Old Testament law, practiced much greater hygiene than the people around them and much greater hygiene than most people would for a very, very long time after. They, they were looked at as being strange because of the, their hygiene practices that were, at least at the time, way more than everybody else. I want to tell you, this incident here is not about the cleanliness of the hands. This was not an argument about hygiene. They weren't saying, hey, your disciples are gross because they didn't wash their hands before they ate. This isn't what it was about. So check out verse 3. Um, remember the first recipients of the Gospel of Mark. We've got to remember, these, these were stories of the life of Jesus that went to somebody. The first recipients were probably Roman believers. We have lots of reasons to believe that the Roman Roman churches were the uh, Roman Christians were the first ones to receive this. So, because they're uh, Romans, they don't understand Jewish customs. So Mark actually stops and explains this Jewish custom here. He says, "For the Pharisees and the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding to the tradition of the elders." This wasn't talking about normal hand washing. It's entirely possible that the disciples did a normal hand washing of some kind. This is talking about a special hand washing, a ceremonial hand washing. This wasn't about hygiene, having objectively clean hands before you ate. It wasn't even about the hand washing taught in the law. This was a special ritual that the Pharisees practiced to say, you know, we're, we're extra holy. We wash our hands in a very special way because we don't ever want to be defiled. and We don't want to ever uh, take anything in that would defile us. And they wanted, it was, a, it was a thing to be seen. They wanted other people to see how super religious they were. If it was 2023 and this was happening, they would Instagram it 
or whatever is the going thing and they would put it on Instagram. Look at me. I'm feeling so holy right now. Just feel so holy right now. Feel so clean right now. Was this hand washing tradition wrong? No. It was okay. But there are two big problems with it. First of all, they thought their tradition made them superior to other believers. And anyone who did not follow their tradition uh, was inferior. And second, they treated their tradition as though it had equal authority as God's truth, as God's law. See, that's different. Well, you can have a tradition, but we've got to know the difference between a tradition and the truth. That's the problem, part of the problem that people have with organized religion. There, there are religious traditions that can make religious people feel like they're superior to other believers, while those who don't practice the traditions are looked down on as inferior, even though these are not requirements from God. God didn't tell them they had to do this, but if anybody didn't do it, they looked down on them. Now, if that doesn't sound right to you, if that feels uncomfortable to you, you're not the only one. Let's see what Jesus said about it. Verse 6. So he answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many such other things you do. Jesus dropped some scripture on it. Isaiah 29, 13. Uh, from the Old Testament, he said, the scribes and the Pharisees were fulfillment. They claimed to honor God, but their heart was not obedient. They liked for people to think of them as being extra spiritual, but their heart was far from God. And they didn't even know it. See, we have a name for that these days. We have a name for it. It's called virtue signaling, where, where people want to show that they're so virtuous, um, but not actually do anything. Social media has been a great, a great gift to virtue signaling because it is so easy to like click like or to share something or to change your profile picture and you can really feel like you're making a difference without actually having to make a difference. You can look like you're doing something without actually doing something. The Pharisees were virtue signaling back in the day. They put on a show of being godly without the trouble of actually having to obey God. And, and Jesus is about to call them out on it. He, he says, you guys keep all these rules about ceremonial washing of your hands, but you don't bother to wash your heart. You love to show everyone how you followed the traditions of men, but you ignore the word of God. In fact, you hold the traditions higher than the truth. If, if I mean, you can imagine, the Pharisees are about to argue, aren't they? They must be about to argue, but Jesus doesn't give them a chance. He goes ahead and incites an example. This is in verses 9 through 13, which won't be on the screen. I'm going to kind of paraphrase it for you. Um, Jesus said, uh, and I'll say to you, you've heard the commandment, honor your father and mother, right? That's one of the top ten. Honor your father and mother. If you're here with your kids, just be like, hey, listen to this. Say like, hey, check out this part. Yeah, yeah. Get this part. Don't miss it. Honor your father and mother. And I'm sure the Pharisees are like, yeah, of course. Honor your father and mother. And he, he said, and you've heard the commandment, he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. 
bum, bum, bum. That's pretty rough. And the Pharisees were probably on board to this point. And they say, yeah, kids these days. Kids these days in, in uh, AD 30. There, man. Always with their nose in that clay tablet. That's what they had. They didn't have iPads. I assume they had a clay tablet. I don't know. These kids these days, always with their, their newfangled running water. And, you know, whatever it is. And the Pharisees were probably like, yeah, kids. They need to obey their parents. And they're on the same page so far. And then Jesus zings them. He, he says, you, you've heard all of this. And yet you practice something called korban. Korban. C-O-R-B-A-N. The word means gift. In that culture, it was expected for uh, people to take care of their aging parents. Um, Very much a part of honoring your father and mother was to look out for your parents as they got older and and needed your help. And remember, no social security in those days. Unless you were very rich, you didn't have any retirement nest egg or anything like that. You had a family that was supposed to Look out for you, provide for you. However, the Pharisees created a loophole. This korban tradition. All right, korban means a, a gift. And they said, okay, if you give a gift to the temple, the amount of money you would have spent taking care of your parents in their latter years, then you can get out of the responsibility of taking care of your parents, and you still are righteous. And there were people who... Who took that deal? They, they liked that deal. That was Corban. Now, that doesn't feel right, does it? That doesn't seem right. But the Pharisees were okay. I mean, I'd love to help you. Love to help you, Mom and Dad. But you see, I gave all the money I was going to spend on you. I gave it to the temple. So what are you going to do when life gives you lemons, right? When you got a lemon of a kid. Um, yeah. The tradition of Corban meant they could disregard the law of God but still be righteous, they said. And the Pharisees were fine with that. As a matter of fact, if someone gave this korban to the temple and then they started having second thoughts like, ooh, I think I messed up. I don't think this honors God. They would not do any refunds. And that's why it says in verse, thir- in, uh, verse uh, I believe it's verse 13, that um, uh, they would not let them help their parents. So Jesus said, you make the word of God of no effect through your tradition. And he said they do a lot of things like that. They allow tradition to take the place of truth. Now, if you look over the 2,000 plus or 2,000-ish year history of Christianity, that's where you always get in trouble. When you let the traditions of man take the place of truth, this pure, simple, biblical faith starts to become something unrecognizable. You know what a caricature is, right? Have you ever been like to the beach or somewhere and they, they like draw the weird portrait of you? Do, you? do you usually come away feeling good about yourself? Like, I know my forehead is not that big. My ears are not that big. And you know, sometimes they'll like draw you as like a muscle guy and you know, maybe that feels good. But by and large, in a caricature, that's the, that's the portrait that an artist does, a quick portrait, and it looks sort of like you. It might be recognizable as you, and I do say might because sometimes they're not, but there's always like some parts are way exaggerated. Some parts are like really shrunk down, usually got like a huge head and a little body. Some features are, are added, 
Like maybe you're not wearing a hat and they put a hat on you because the guy can't draw hair very good. I don't know. Or maybe they take away some features entirely. But you get a picture that sort of looks like you, but if you went missing, that's not the picture we'd give to the authorities because you would not truly be recognizable. And I think that is what happens with true biblical faith. When you have the traditions of man that draw a caricature of what the Bible represents as this community of faith. And I'm convinced that many people who reject faith in Christ or many people who reject involvement with the local body of believers, a church, have really mostly seen that cartoon version of what it's supposed to be like. You know, a twisted version that that makes Jesus something he's not, you know, makes Jesus into the mascot of one political party or another. Um, some cartoon version that that sets a lot of rules that the Bible doesn't set or takes the things the Bible says and it's like, ah, no, nah, those don't really count. Maybe a, a twisted version of Christianity that claims to love children but covers up the abuse of children. Ooh, ooh, that gets under my skin. Oh, did you know that at one time there was a, a caricature of Christianity that was so mad that, that when people tried to put copies of the Scriptures in the hands of common people in a language they could read, they were executing people for that? That happened. That happened. It's not been, you know, 400 years ago. That was happening. People were being executed for giving someone a Bible. Not by atheists, but by the church. Church people. Or a caricature of the church. A cartoon version of the church. Um, there's a, there is a version, a twisted version, that turns the kingdom of God into religious nationalism. And there's an opposite version that turns it into pacifism. Then there's a character that, caricature that maybe a lot of us experienced. Like growing up in a church that would say they 100% believe the Bible. We believe every word. Down from Genesee, down to Revelation. Every single word. And yet, seem to forget certain parts when someone really messes up. Like, forget the mercy and grace parts. When someone blows it, kind of forget, the, forget some parts of the Bible. Man, all this and much more happens when tradition becomes the compass rather than truth. Listen, folks, you can call something the church. You can put a name on the door. You can declare that you're the sole representative of Christ on earth. But if the traditions of man have taken the place of the clear truth of Scripture, man, that ain't church. That's the drawing. That's the cartoon drawing of church. And I don't want anyone to ever reject Christ because a religious tradition has twisted the image of Christ. So, hey... Read the Bible. That is a revolutionary thought. You want to know what church is supposed to be? You want to know what this Jesus follower life is supposed to be? Man, read the Bible. It's there. It's right there. You don't have to take somebody's word for it. Read it. You, you, when you actually see what Jesus and the apostles taught, when you see how these early believers gathered and worshipped, man, you might see something different than you've seen before. You may see something that looks different than maybe what you grew up with or grew up around. You know, what do you see when you read the New Testament? That's when we were working on Recreate Church, man, that's where it started. Start reading the Bible. 
And you read the New Testament and you, you don't see these people putting a big emphasis on like appearances. There's no suits or no ties in the in New Testament church. I mean, I spent 12 years pastoring churches where I wore a suit and tie every Sunday. And I'm sweating so much right now in just this shirt. Can you imagine how I was sweating in a suit and a tie? You know, it wasn't good for me. And we don't see any, we don't see a lot of the things. We don't see pews. We don't see offering plates, no bulletins, no committees. Thank you, Jesus. Um, some of y'all been on some church committees. Um, Ain't nothing like a church that's got 80 members and 85 committees. Been there. Um, no business meetings. No, nothing ceremonial except baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's literally the only ceremonies we see in the actual New Testament church. That's it. Uh, they, um, you didn't need to pretend to be anything you weren't. You could walk in all messed up and, and they showed you the truth. Uh, they, there was very little formality. They purposefully laid aside cultural differences. Mostly, you know what the church was? When you actually read the New Testament, like the book of Acts and stuff, it was people gathered in houses or down by a riverbank talking about Jesus, fellowshipping. They, were, they, would have, um, they would sing a few songs and there was somebody would teach or preach from the scriptures uh, they would pray for each other sometimes they would share a meal together sometimes they would share life they would always share life together always always man there's a reason why we do the things that we do y'all there's a reason why our worship services you know our worship space i mean look around us it's like have you ever been in a church building where there's armchairs before is that new to y'all i mean we want this to be a big living room why because we're super cool nah it's just because those early churches, they did it in homes. So we had some of our guys drive a million miles to go get these chairs. Billy and Duncan, that was what a day. Yeehaw, they drove to Birmingham, Alabama and back in a day. And we carried these chairs into the basement because we hadn't even had this space ready yet. Something, that's just awesome. So we, have, we, we want this to be like a living room because that's kind of what we see in the New Testament. Um, that's why our services are so informal. In the New Testament, we see preaching, we see teaching, we see singing, we see prayer, we see fellowship, we see discipleship. So do you know what we have? That's just what we have. That's what we have. We want it to be like that. I know we're not flashy. We don't have the budget for flash. That's okay. We don't want to be flashy. We just want to, we just want to live out and share the simple faith and biblical truth modeled by those early believers. We're a community of life and love with the mission of leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. That's our mission. That's who we are. That's what we believe we see in the, in the New Testament. Not everybody is going to jive with what we're doing, but that's okay. But I do say that every single person who shows up to one of our services, I pray they'll see that. I pray they'll, they'll get a little taste of what a local fellowship of believers is meant to be. It's okay to have traditions. Traditions are good. Traditions have brought us fried chicken to church dinners so i like those traditions kfc i mean next to heaven there's a little place called kentucky right on the border where they fry that chicken it's good stuff that's a good tradition traditions can give us shared identity we have some traditions we do it's it's not a bad thing but we must never ever 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 become a church that puts traditions above the truth 
If traditions ever come into conflict with the truth, there's no question which one should win. If any of our traditions that are really cool now should ever one day prevent us from reaching people for Jesus, man, what can we do? We can't hold on to it. I've been around church for a long time, and what I have seen is a lot of times traditions that start out really good someday don't serve you anymore, and someday become a barrier to people coming into the kingdom of God, and that's when the tradition has got to go. There's a difference between tradition and truth. Now, hey, let's get back to where we started. If you remember at the beginning of this message, um, the Pharisees had a particular problem with the disciples, and the problem was the disciples did not do what? They didn't wash their hands. Once again, it was not like washing for hygiene. It was a religious ritual. The Pharisees taught that if you didn't go through this religious ritual washing, then you weren't really righteous. Now, did God say that? No. To use a modern term, they were gatekeeping access to God using standards that God did not set. Jesus called them out. They had an obsession with outward cleanliness, but neglected inward cleanliness. Let's check this out, verse 14. Verse 14. Then he called all the multitude to himself. Hey, there's a big crowd around listening to this argument now. He said, uh, hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears, let him hear. That's super, super clear, right? If you're a little confused by that, you're in good company. The disciples were too. And as soon as they got along with Jesus, they asked what it was. And, and, and he explained it. Um, let me put it this way. When you eat food, where does it go? Into your stomach. And then where, where, does, where does it go from there? It goes on through the digestive system and makes its exit. Okay, it goes on through. It does not go into your heart. When you eat food, it doesn't go into your heart, except for nanner pudding. Maybe that would. No, not really, though. But, I mean, it goes, it goes into your stomach, and it, it makes its way through, and it makes its, hopefully, not dramatic exit. Spiritual defilement does not come from certain foods or eating with unwashed hands. Now, you might eat something that makes you sick. But that's not spiritual defilement. Spiritual defilement doesn't come from what, what comes out. It's, it's from what goes in. Or not, not from what goes in, rather, but what comes out. And I'm not talking about the potentially dramatic exit. I'm talking about what comes out of the heart. That's what Jesus said. It's what comes out of your heart. That may defile you. Verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And those are what defile a man. See, the religious tradition of the Pharisees was all about outward appearances. But the truth of the Scriptures shows us that righteousness is not about having clean hands. It's about having a clean heart. The heart is where the problem is. That's where the ugliness comes from. See, that's the problem with, with religious tradition, potentially. It can polish someone up on the outside. It may, can make them look like they're like super spiritual. But it doesn't deal with the inside. It doesn't transform the heart. You can say the right words... Keep the right customs, wear the right clothes, go to the right places, and feel 
far superior to the people who don't keep those rules and still have a messed up heart. Have you ever met somebody who was very religious but did not know how to treat people nicely? Were you impressed with their religiosity? No. As I've said many times, and I'll keep saying it, um, sometimes church services dismiss on Sunday, and then church people forget how to live that Jesus life. Have you ever worked in a restaurant on a Sunday? Show of hands. Uh, You know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Some of them church people, some of them church people forget, forget where they came from. Man, I'll, I'll tell you again, we give out these shirts, all right, it says Recreate Church, there's probably there's a few more left if you want them. My deal is though, if you're going to wear a Recreate Church hoodie, hat, whatever, you better treat people right while you're wearing it. If you got to like be mean to somebody, you go turn your shirt inside out first. This is a small town, I'll hear about it. <laughs> small town. Well, no, we just don't do that. Look, look. It's not about the outside. It's about the inside. It's about what comes out of the heart. That's where your behavior, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Think about that. The stuff that comes out of your mouth started in your heart. And that's not real flattering to us sometimes. And I know it's not for me. All right, imagine for a moment you're walking around your yard. If you've got a yard, you're walking around your yard. And you find a PVC pipe, a white PVC pipe, about that high, about this big around. And you decide, huh. That looks kind of cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build me a flower bed around that, that pipe. So you make yourself a beautiful flower bed around it. You get some of like the expensive river stone and stuff. It's springtime, honey. Don't think about any of this. I don't want to pay any, I won't put any river stone down. She's smiling way too big about the landscaping stuff. This is my wife in the front row. So you get the most expensive landscaping stuff and you put it down and you plant flowers and little shrubberies and and you put your little little gnome out there by this PVC pipe, a little little angel. She's doing like the hands, like, oh, this sounds like a great idea. Um, and it just you're gonna tie a bow on it, and you think at Christmas I'm gonna put tinsel on it. And when it's when it's Independence Day, I'm gonna put a flag on it. It's gonna be beautiful. My wife does not sound at all like that, by the way. She is from New Jersey. I had to marry someone from New Jersey because I'm related to everyone here. You can marry your cousins, but you can't keep marrying your cousins. That does become a cumulative problem. So you're just, you're like, you've decorated your PVC pipe, and it's great, and it just looks beautiful. And you, everyone who comes by, you're like, hey, come here, look at this. I made this nice little garden around this, this pipe coming out of the ground. Isn't it great? It looks so pretty. And it's so wonderful, but none of that changes the fact that that is the pipe going to your septic system. So on the outside, it's beautiful, it's fancy, it's impressive, you're proud of it, but on the inside, it's full of... You can fill in your favorite adjective right there. You know, you can use whatever word you want right there. Hey, I know that's not the churchiest way to explain something, but if you want a really super churchy church, we're probably not for you. Um, you know, we're a little more down to earth. Uh, that's, that's true, though. That's what happens when we elevate 
religious tradition over biblical truth. Man, it's polished up. It's pretty. It looks so good. But on the inside, it's full of stuff. Don't let tradition take the place of truth. Because when you do, you are settling for a spiritual life that is only on the outside, which is to say, no spiritual life at all. If your spiritual life or your religion doesn't go deeper than the skin, it is not real. Do not settle for going through the motions when you can have transformation. Don't settle for for clean hands when Jesus came to give you a clean heart. Maybe the best way to say it is like this. Don't settle for religion when you can have Jesus. There's a difference. I've heard people say the phrase, so-and-so found religion. I'm like, ooh, well, I hope they found Jesus too. Because the religion, uh, I've been around religion. Religion will polish you up, make you look good on the outside. But until you find Jesus, your religion ain't going to do you no good. I don't know everybody's story here, but I will tell you this. Whatever your experience has been with religion or religious tradition, I hope it has been positive, but it will never, ever, ever be able to take the place of an honest-to-goodness relationship with Jesus Christ. When I talk to people about spiritual things, people find out I'm like a pastor. First thing they do is stop cussing. I'm like, what am I going to do? Tell Jesus on you? He hears it all. I mean, I don't carry like a notepad around like, oh, ooh, he said a bad word. I'm going to tell Jesus. He knows. I ain't worried about that. Second thing they do is want to tell me usually about where they used to go to church. I'm like, hey, that's awesome. That is awesome. But what I really want to talk to them about is, hey, where's your heart? Where's your heart? Because, you know, showing up at church don't make you a Christian. Any more than running to the car wash makes you a car. It's just not how it works. Don't settle for the following of some religious traditions that make you feel good when Jesus wants to transform your heart. You see, that's where it really happens. Inside your heart, that's the place that needs to change. Because that's where the anger is. That's where the unforgiveness is. That's where the anxiety is that's where the pride is it's in your heart it's not on the outside i hope you hey wash your hands it's a good idea but go to jesus and get your heart washed that's the difference maker that's what salvation means salvation doesn't mean i stopped cussing and i started going to church some salvation means inviting jesus to transform who you are on the inside we just need we need to go to there him right now because I don't know what's there. I don't know what you're holding on to. I don't know what guilt is in your heart. I don't know what shame, what regret. I don't know the things that have been done to you that that you haven't been able to forgive. But let's put it before the Lord right now, Heavenly Father. We all pray together. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we'll that we'll never count on religious tradition to save us. That we'll count on the Lord Jesus. Jesus, we pray that you'll go to work in our hearts. That you'll deal with the ugly stuff that is there. With the, with the unforgiveness that is there. With the anger that is there. With the pride and bitterness. 
with the fear and faithlessness. God, the things that we've done that we know we shouldn't have done and it's still weighing on us. Lord, we pray for cleansing from all of that. Lord, look inside us. Awaken us to the needs of our heart. And I pray in Jesus' name for every single person receiving this message right here in this room and across the world that you do a work in our hearts that we would not be the same, that we would not just be religious people following some set of religious rules, but that we would be truly redeemed, transformed, resurrected people who live differently and act differently and treat people differently and see the world differently. God, we pray these things and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Don't settle for tradition when the truth is there. God bless you guys. Thank you for being a part of this. You are an answer to prayer. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful, blessed day. Um, Next week, we'll be back up here. We may be back in the book of Mark. I'm not sure yet, but I hope we will see you here and you can be a part of it. God bless you as you go. Take care.